0: White supremacists on them mall chaos. Where do we go from here? Chaos, challenging the legitimacy of democracy or Black Lives Matter? Community, trying to forge connection between all concerned citizens to radically reorient the government back to its original purposes as articulated by the founding fathers. Chaos, white supremacy, community, love of all peoples. That's how we
1: make a start. That's Michael Eric Dyson, and this is Alternative Radio. I'm David Barsamyan. This edition of AR features Michael Eric Dyson on chaos or community. In his 1967 book, Where Do We Go From Here?, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote these prophetic words. A true revolution of values will soon look uneasily on the glaring contrast of poverty and wealth. The oceans of history are made turbulent by the ever-rising tides of hate. We are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. This may well be, Dr. King says, our last chance to choose between chaos or community. More than five decades later, The chaos is all too apparent, a raging pandemic with its mounting death toll, acute economic distress, a climate in peril, and the fury of the January 6th insurrection and all that was behind it. We are at a proverbial crossroads. What will it be, as Dr. King asks, chaos or community? Our guest today is Michael Eric Dyson. He's an internationally renowned scholar of race, religion, and contemporary culture, and is Centennial Chair and University Distinguished Professor of African-American and Diaspora Studies at Vanderbilt University. Among his many books are April 4th, 1968, Holler If You Hear Me, Searching for Tupac Shakur, and Jay-Z, Made in America. This online event was hosted by the University of Colorado at Boulder and Metropolitan State University in Denver on January 22nd. And now, Michael Eric Dyson.
0: When I think about uh, the legacy of Dr. King, born in 1929, died in 1968, 39 years old, didn't reach 40. In the process of his life, in the process of his career, in the process of his activism, he certainly was committed to notions of racial justice, of nonviolent, non-cooperation with a system of evil, non-cooperation with injustice, which is why he said injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And so... When we look at Dr. King's legacy and ask, well, what is its relevance to what's going on now? We can turn to his most most noteworthy speech. uh, That is the, I have a dream speech in 1963, August 28th, to mark the eighth anniversary of the death of Emmett Till. And as you all will remember, Emmett Till was the young 14 year old uh, boy traveling from Chicago down to Mississippi, supposedly whistled at a white woman, was abducted from his uncle's home in Mississippi, taken, shot, beaten, had a 70-pound cotton gin tied around his neck and tossed into the Tallahatchie River. And when they recovered him, his mother refused to have a closed casket funeral because his face was so hideously disfigured she wanted the world to see the impact of racial hatred on the body of black people and so uh there was no twitter there was no facebook there was no instagram but there was jet magazine and the the circulation of that idea the circulation of that picture uh really changed the game and motivated people all over the world, like George Floyd's death did. And in this case, uh, Rosa Parks, remembering uh, the death of Emmett Till, stayed on that bus in Montgomery, Alabama, 1955, and then uh, determined that she would no longer cooperate with the mandate for segregated busing. Black people in the bag, white folk in the front. And so, when I think about Dr. King's speech, and of course, there's a peril in only focusing on the "I Have a Dream" speech. It would be like, you know, uh, your favorite singer or rapper or performer or artist, and all you focus on is one song. Could be their greatest hit, but if they've had other songs, Stevie Wonder. Jay Z, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, uh, Kodak Black, maybe. So just got out of jail, <laughs> or at least pardoned from the former president, uh, along with Lil Wayne. So Dr. King had more than one speech. We know as I have a dream speech, but the speech he gave before he died, the night before he died, was arguably uh, an even deeper dive into the history of American resistance to social justice and the encouragement of America to embrace the, the movement for the radical redistribution of wealth, for anti-capitalist beliefs, to combat uh, anti-blackness, to put forward his anti-racist agenda, and to talk about class inequality in America. But in that I Have a Dream speech in 1963... Uh, besides the I have a dream part that everybody knows about. I have a dream. One day, my four little children will live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, right? Everybody knows that. Or they know down in Alabama with its vicious racist governor having his lips dripping with the words of interposition and nullification. Right there in Alabama, little black boys and black girls will join hands with little white boys and white girls and sing together as sisters and brothers. I have a dream, right, sir? Wow. But in that speech, too, he had some other things. He starts off by saying, five score years ago, what do we all immediately think of? Y'all are historians. Right, I, I'm glad you said so, Abraham Lincoln. Five score years ago, you know, in his great speech, a a great American in whose symbolic shadow we stand today signed the Emancipation Proclamation. Then he goes on, this momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope for millions of Negroes who were manacled in slavery, right? The shackles of enslavement. And he said, but we are marooned on a tiny island of poverty in the midst of a vast ocean of material prosperity. Wow. You know, this poverty in the midst of all of this wealth. We could say that even today. And then he said, the whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundation of this nation until the Negro, as Black people were then called, is granted his or her citizenship rights. We're going to be revolting. Now we ain't gonna go to the Capitol and tear stuff up. Oh, Uh, we're not gonna go there and tear it down. We're not gonna desecrate the holy space of American civic life. You wanna ask the people, what y'all mad at? Y'all running stuff, y'all got stuff in your favor. White privilege, white supremacy, white nationalism, anti-Americanism, anti-democracy. You got most of the good jobs. You got all the presidencies except one. You're running American corporations? What up? It's like, tell them why you're mad, son. It's like the the mad rapper. Tell them why you're mad. (laughs) So he said, the whirlwinds of revolt will continue to shake the foundation of this nation until the Negroes granted his or her citizenship rights. And then he said, we have come to the nation's capital to cash a check. The reality is this that he said, we have come to the nation's capital to cash a check, a check which has been returned to us, marked insufficient funds. Ain't got no money in the bank. He said, but I refuse to believe that the great vaults of democracy are empty. That was a Rihanna moment. Nation better have my money. I'm I'm giving y'all mad love up in here on the jokes. I don't know if y'all out there, 317 of y'all what y'all doing? I can't see you, but you should be going, this dude is killing it. I am, all right. <laughs> I'm just serious. Look, so when we talk about that speech, two things stand out, right? I'm building up to the two things. First, he talked about the marvelous new militancy that has arisen in the nation. Then he talks about some of us who have come fresh From the unspeakable horrors of police brutality, the marvelous new militancy, he's talking about SNCC, black power, that was developing later on with Stokely Carmichael, Uh, black people saying, "Nope, we got to change the system. We have to challenge the inequality. So he's talking about Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and other revolutionary black militants. Black Lives Matter of their day. That's all I'm trying to get to, right? Work with me here, people. Dr. King said, now we are talking about Black Lives Matter. Okay, he didn't say that, but I'm just imagining. that he's talking about the marvelous new militancy. He's speaking about the revolutionary impulse of young black people, of militants in America, of all races, creeds, uh, and colors who are challenging the system as it is. So for those who try to... Counterpose Martin Luther King Jr. And, and, and Black Lives Matter, it ain't working, son. It's not working. He was down with them. Now, he had disagreements and differences. Some of the, the beef was when King would show up, he would take the cameras and the spotlight and the media and Snick was going, but we did all the work. Or most of it. It's not like King wasn't working. But damn, dog, can we get some love too? Can we get some shine? I mean, whoa. And then plus... You come in, the cameras chase you, and we've done the dirty, nasty, unsexy, everyday work, voting rights, Freedom Summer of 1963, 64, challenging the dominant white supremacist ethos. We're out here making sure that communities will be created in the image of democracy. Y'all swoop in with Dr. King, give a speech. Everybody says, oh, he's the bum, and we've been doing the work. Then they, they called him the Lord or the Lord behind his back. You know you know how young people do. we trying to crack on us old people. You know what it is. <laughs> and then they laughed at him because he liked to wear silk pajamas. What you mad at, son? He wanted a little leisure at the crib. He's out here gi- giving his life. He's going to jail in Birmingham. He's out there getting threatened every day. Can a man wear some silk pajamas? Come on, young people. So... Black Lives Matter of its day, SNCC, he valorized, he valued, he uplifted, he elevated the work of militants, of Black Lives Matter, of SNCC, of African-American, Latinx, indigenous, young people of color who had been radicalized by the white supremacist ethos of American culture that denied the legitimacy of our humanity. That's number one. So what would he be doing today? standing with Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and the rest of Black Lives Matter. He would be standing on the front line with those who say we've got to call an end to social inequity and inequality and injustice. That's one. Number two, the unspeakable horrors of police brutality. He was talking about it in 63. We talking about it in 2021. We saw George Floyd... No excuses for white people. That's why many white brothers and sisters got involved with the movement. All the asterisks were removed. All the excuses gone. Well, he must have been menacing to you. He's on the ground. Prostrate. With three cops. One on his neck. One on his back. One on his legs. Oh, oh, okay. He must have been uh, wielding a gun. Okay. He ain't got nothing. He can't even lift himself. He can't even breathe. He must have been nasty to the police. Officer, please, sir. Does that sound nasty to you? When you're losing your life and you still have the home training to treat these police people with respect, the respect they are not treating you. And it was a multicultural lineup. Don't get it twisted. The white cop on his neck, the black cop on his back, another white cop on his legs, an Asian cop is the lookout. Multiculturalism ain't enough. Multiculturalism with justice is the point, right? You can have a multicultural lineup, but y'all could all be homophobic. You can have a multicultural lineup, but y'all could be all anti-black, all anti-indigenous. Just because you a different color don't mean you a different kind, a different content of your political and ideological commitment to social transformation and so dr king saw that this was a problem white brothers and sisters said all the excuses are gone they hit the street the protests swelled to the largest ever in the history of this nation because white brothers and sisters for the first time some of them fell in love with black people right there's no judgment i'm just saying that's just what it is They finally got it. It clicked. Like, oh, damn, this is what they're talking about. Because I always thought, Jiminy Cricket, you must have said something. You must have cursed them out. This dude is sitting here begging for his life and doing nothing of harm to anybody, and you still killed him. White folks said, "Uh uh-uh, can't do it. They hit the streets. That was seven months ago. Now it's all quiet down. Now I don't know about y'all, and I'm going to end on this point. When you fall in love, you know, when you first fall in love, Oh, hey, how are, oh, I love you. I love you too. You know, let me take you roller skating. Let me take you to play winks. Let me take you to play bingo at the Catholic church. <laughs> I got a low budget here. I'm a student, man, what you want from me? All right, let me, let me buy you some ramen noodles and let's sit up here and watch, uh, you know, Netflix all night. Oh, it's love, <laughs> All right. Let's watch Bridgerton together, yes. And then six months later, did you, did you leave the toilet seat up? Because I almost fell in it, son. What, what are you doing, man? Come on now. You know, as a woman, what's up with that? Don't, don't do that. Are you actually rolling the toothpaste from the top and not the bottom? What? Are you a barbarian? Come on. But then even though you've gone from the in love part to the everyday part, it's the unsexy every day that tests the durability of your affection. Right? So now who's taking the kids to school, right? Who's, who's taking daddy duty and mommy duty? Who's, who's changing the diaper at three o'clock in the morning when the baby is crying? Who's going to take the kids to sports? Who's going to get up? In other words, the unsexy stuff, the everyday normal stuff, is where you test the durability of your commitment. And that's where we are. Black Lives Matter, police brutality, two things anticipated by Dr. King that he would be deeply involved with in this moment. And as I end this little part and we'll have conversation, it's extremely important for all of us, 2021, Got a new, new president. I don't know how you feel about that. I know this is not political, so I'm going to just leave that alone. But hallelujah. Okay. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Damn. You know, even the Republicans were going, get this dude out of here, please. Even Mitch McConnell was like, president one rose up and in an uh, in elegant fashion uh, really, really rose up against an anti- democratic fashion and end up the, the white supremacists. Mitch McConnell? Dude, you must be messing up. Mitch McConnell coming at your neck. But don't get it twisted. White supremacy reinforced by the vicious elements of what we saw in the Capitol and by the Mitch McConnell's and the Ted Cruz's and the Marco Rubio's and the Josh Hawley's and all these Congress people who are feeding and stoking conspiracy theory, knowing damn well that was a true election, knowing damn well that you are ginning up the conservative reactionary right-wing forces that live on a diet of conspiracy and anti-statism that you as a representative of the state should be ashamed for stoking. So in this day and age, let's continue to hold high the bloodstained banner of truth because people of color are the ones who died for this nation without recognition. And those white folk, for the most part, who were mad the other day? Going to the capital And tearing up? That would be more easily understood if it was us. What we have not been given, what we have been denied, but we still love this country. We are loyal to this country, even though... We believe you've got to be criticized. James Baldwin said, I love America more than any other nation on Earth. That's why I reserve the right to perpetually criticize. So as I end, Dr. King would be involved with Black Lives Matter. Dr. King would be involved in defunding the police, challenging the hegemony of the police, asking why it is that the police have the kind of funds they do, at least thinking about it, to change the system. I'll end right there and have our conversation with my wonderful young friends.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Dyson, for your powerful words. I know that I'm not the only one who was shaking my head and snapping my fingers saying, mm, mm-hmm, I know that's right. So <laughs> now we have a couple questions for you. Um, But to preface my first question, you've done a lot of work surrounding toxic masculinities and asking male identifying persons to examine harmful practices and paradigms. Um, As you have said before, you know, our most recent political upheaval (laughs) puts Mm -hmm. these very issues, you know, into sharp focus. Um, So my question is, um, could you share Your observations on how patriarchy and toxic masculinity, especially within our own communities, are obscuring the conversations we need to be having.
0: Yeah, I mean, the vicious, bitter uh, assaults upon women, upon uh, American democracy are not as in opposition as one might think. They're more intertwined than we know. At the beginning of this nation, women couldn't even vote. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That's toxic masculinity in some fancy language. That's racism in some fancy language. In other words, women need not apply. Black people, we ain't even thinking about you. So it's toxic, but it's nice. It's refined. It's elegant. But it's still bitter. And it's still poisonous. And so what we have to do is to look not at simply at rap music, though rap music is chock full of toxic masculinity, Right. Still to this day, even though we love it and we appreciate what is done. We have to be critical of the funkiness, the foul elements, the nefarious insistence on demonizing women. But then again, the church does too. It's more slick. You know, it says, well, the Lord doesn't want you to step up on the pulpit you have to give announcements from the floor. That's toxic masculinity. We just ain't called it that, but that's what it is. So we have to look at patriarchy's paradigms, its poisonous practices, its toxic iterations, and say we have to challenge that. We have to challenge the unconscious reflex toward male supremacy. We have to challenge the dominance of masculinist ideas where we continue to reproduce the pathology of misogyny, of sexism of patriarchy and of femophobia, right? Phobic at the presence of real women. And when we do that, we embrace greater avenues of healing. When we work in concert with women and challenging our own toxic internal masculinity and some women who smuggle in toxic masculinity within their female form. I'm just saying now, I'm just saying. Toxic masculinity is not the ultimate or exclusive preserve of men. Women who internalize limitations on their gender have smuggled in toxic masculinity through ventriloquism, women's mouth moving, toxic masculine ideas floating. Now often this comes, I don't wanna just blame it on one side, but the right wing conservative values of certain women that reproduced the pathology of white supremacist patriarchal culture, as, you know, bell hooks would speak about it. So we have to identify it, we have to acknowledge it, and we have to resist it. Or like my man, you know, Liam Neeson said, you know, <laughs> identify it, I'm going hunt you down, and then I'm going to kill it. So that's what we got to do to toxic masculinity as well.
3: Thanks so much for addressing that. Um, Mm -hmm. I really love that you brought up this idea of an unconscious reflex toward misogyny. Mm -hmm. And that's actually related to my question as well. Um, So we talk a lot about things white individuals can do to help counter white privilege and address white supremacy. And there's been this ongoing call for anti-racist self-education for these people wanting to start making a difference. But I'm curious if you could speak to the Black and BIPOC individuals in the room about how we can personally overcome that pervasive negative effect of white supremacy in our own lives. You say in uh, Making Malcolm, you write the internal struggles for a liberated consciousness. And so I also appreciate that you ground this conversation of racial equity, um, which can sometimes be abstract. So you offer practical and accessible uh, suggestions for change. So I'd like to know what you believe are concrete ways we can decondition and decolonize our own minds, hearts and bodies. as Black students and humans of color, but also as Americans.
0: Malcolm X was a genius at that, trying to figure out how the white man is occupying our mindsets, influencing us, shaping us, and really dictating the terms of our self-assessment. Du Bois said it must be a strange thing in 1903 to measure yourself against the judgment of of another world. Constantly seeing yourself through the prism of a dominant white supremacist culture that ain't got no love for you. So read some Malcolm, read some Dr. King at the end when he talked about signing, you know, the Emancipation Proclamation of your own black identity. He called it manhood, Olympian manhood, but we can get beyond manhood to talk about personhood. Or read some Frantz Fanon, black skin I mean, was it, was, it black, uh, white, was it black skin, white mask or white skin, <laughs> black skin, white mask? Or... And so, you know, the way in which we put on as a kind of racial minstrelsy, whiteness, uh, to further our goals and objectives, to think better about ourselves, believing the white water is wetter, white ideas are brighter, White culture is better, more refined, right? We've been taught this from the get-go. So we have to deprogram, decolonize, de-establish the hegemony, the dominance of white supremacist ideas about who we are that pervert us, that poison us, that contaminate our self-awareness and self-consciousness. And so we read, we think, we talk to other people, we begin to purge this stuff. It ain't no once-and-done kind of thing. It's a constant lifelong process because you're subject to this over this the, the span of your life, constantly being seduced by beliefs and ideas that are extraneous to your culture in a negative fashion. I'm not saying that all ideas extraneous to your culture are bad. I'm just saying the ones that teach you to hate yourself, that don't like yourself, that don't appreciate yourself – that don't appreciate your culture, that you don't do business with people of your kind, say even black people, you know about them in words, you know, they don't never take care of business. That doesn't mean that some black people don't fail at business, but then go to the next black person. Cause when white folk fail, you ain't done with white folk. All the school, you know, messed up. I'm a transfer to another, you don't say I'm done with white schools. Right? So give us the benefit of the doubt understand the way in which we've been taught to disavow the legitimacy of our kind and to become complicit in our own demise and the self-hatred that manifests itself with the inability to embrace and love blackness. Black love is a revolutionary act in a white supremacist culture. Self-love and self-care are revolutionary tools of Black self-affirmation in a white supremacist culture. And so that's what we have to do in concrete measure. Go to Black Sunday schools, go to Black institutions that teach this, go to Black organizations that remind you, I'm talking about practical stuff you can do, read Black books that talk about this, just black it up for a minute so you can understand the complicated nuances of your blackness amidst a culture that teaches you to despise yourself.
1: You're listening to Michael Eric Dyson on Chaos or Community. This is Independent Alternative Radio. Stay tuned at the end to learn how you can get CDs, MP3s, PDFs of this program, and Noam Chomsky's latest book, Consequences of Capitalism. Our website, Alternative Radio. Dot org. Our toll free number one eight hundred triple four one nine seven seven. So many
2: students of the world minority who are embedded in these predominantly white structures, such as institutions of higher education, like Metropolitan State University, the University of Colorado Denver, University of Colorado Boulder, are strategizing with white allies or are just bravely holding up mirrors to the white supremacist cultures and practices. So in your own education and career. What strategies did you use to advocate for yourself and your scholarship?
0: Yes, a great point. I mean, I remember giving a keynote speech in 1993. And there were three people at this big conference that got standing ovations. Stuart Hall, who was um, then probably arguably still the greatest Black intellectual in Western speaking cultures. Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison, writer, Nobel Prize laureate. I don't think she was that by then. Extraordinary uh, writer and figure. And then me. (laughs) Uh, It's not a humble brag, but the reason I'm saying I got a standing ovation is because despite some hate, because at that point when I was quoting hip-hop, People were like, why are you doing that? 90s, Snoopy Doggy Dog. I can't believe it. You have a PhD from Princeton, and you're frigging quoting Snoop, falling back on that ass with a hellified gangstony, getting funky on the mic like an old batch of colored greens. It's the capital. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm fresh in double D-O-W-G-Y, D-O-W-G-U-C. Like they were pictured like, What? But despite the hate, I got to stand and ovate. I do it like I do. Okay, anyway, I don't, I don't freestyle on y'all. So the thing, is, <laughs> so the thing is is that I don't pay the price people dogging me taught hip hop, pop culture at places. Why are you teaching them about Jay-Z and Nas and Tupac? Tupac Shacker, Right? Tupac Because Tupac said, just the other day, I got lynched by some crooked cops. And to this day, them same cops on the beat getting major pay. But when I get my check, they taking tax out. So we paying the cops to knock the blacks out. That's why I'm teaching Tupac. Because Jay-Z said al-Qaeda, what did he say? Bin Laden been happening in Manhattan. Back then, back when police was al-Qaeda to black men, so I still teach Beyonce, stay gracious, best revenge, get your paper, right? So so the thing is, right, build up enough capital so you have an infrastructure of institutional independence and autonomy so you can tell people to kiss your ass in a progressive fashion. You can dress up like a Black Panther at the Super Bowl. You do what you do. And so, you know, it was a rough way for me to, you know, hold, so to speak, because people hating People dogging, but I kept stepping, I kept trying to challenge the dominant mindset, the paradigm that said black people shouldn't, scholars shouldn't, you shouldn't do the hip hop, you shouldn't do the pop culture, you shouldn't do that, right? All the ways they're trying to crack on me and dismiss me and disavow what I do, got to keep going. And in my own career, if you were asking me the question about me personally, Having to grapple with these narrow, negative, nefarious, problematic uh ways of seeing myself, and it was all along that spectrum, and people trying to hurt and dismiss me and trying to suggest that I was illegitimate and in a but, but I also study French and German too. I did all the stuff the rest of y'all doing. Das ist verboden. bold in Spain, I'm Bellini, I finished the book as not a I did that. I did the French. So n'est pas difficile d'apprendre le français facile. I'm doing all that. I'm spitting them lyrics at y'all. Sounding like I'm <laughs> Bust Buster rhymes. <laughs> <coughs> And then I'm doing the vernacular, gizzo to the stizzo, rizzo, brizava, rizzo, halala rizzo, 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 I can do that too. So I can do those ghetto linguistics. I can do the highfalutin gravitas of the culture because that's what I do. So the thing is, is that by learning to accept myself and hopefully the beauty and the importance of what I do, the gifts God gave me the the talents I developed was extremely important for me to be able to say what I have to say to talk what I have to talk and to do what I have to do uh, without excuse or apology so that's that's kind of how I did
3: and beyonce also says I just wanted to quote this now that you're throwing out lyrics she says, "Life is your birthright they hid that in the fine print take the pen and rewrite it and that's like you writing your own narrative and being authentic in yourself, love it. (laughs) So my fourth uh, final question here, Um, I wanted to know, you kind of already mentioned this, but I wanted to give you some space to go off a little. Um, Can you talk about the dichotomy between the treatment of the Black Lives Matter protesters versus the um, mostly white insurrectionist treatment at the Capitol building that happened?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you qualified as mostly white because people are going to say, well, there were some Latinx people, some black people. We said mostly, dog. And don't act like black and brown people can't be white supremacists. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. It can migrate into your brain, into your mindset. You can be the most effective patriarch as a woman with a skirt. You can be the greatest white supremacist in brown skin. So please, you know. But we know how ugly that was. And we know if that had been Black Lives Matter trying to get up into the Capitol, been dead black people, a bunch of them. God rest the soul of that white woman who died, even though I disagreed vigorously and vehemently with her viewpoints, I don't think they should have shot her. But then they felt that their lives were under threat too, right? When they always say that about us, we saw the woman coming through the darn window. Now, they're going to put that dude who shot her on suspension, and you can best believe killing a white woman, they're going to they treat him like unless you just really have to do that, dog. We ain't down with that. Even the white insurrectionists, Insurrectionists. Undermining government. Disloyal to the nation. Confederate flag. The very bloodstained banner of disloyalty of secession, of leaving the nation, of saying, y'all, and we're out in the most holy, sacred, revered ground in civic social space in America. During one of the greatest rituals of democracy, counting the votes, the accounting for the electoral college votes, And y'all trying to interrupt that on the notion that it was illegitimate and you ain't got no damn proof. And these senators who know better, that's why they're white supremacists too. You just an easier, slicker, Ivy League version of white supremacy. But we see you and we know what you're doing. And so the truth is that had that been Black Lives Matter protesters, even Joe Biden had to rec- recognize that. Because his granddaughter hit him up and said, Papa, you know that had that been Black Lives Matter protesters, they would have not been treated the same way. So it's good to be president and have a granddaughter who's woke. <laughs> Thank you, granddaughter. And so we know the dist- the, the, the the disavowal, of black identity, the des- the desecration of blackness, the hatred of who we are, of indigenous identities, of red, yellow, brown identities in this country, of First Nation identities in this country, of native peoples, we would have been eviscerated, tore up, shot, killed, arrested. How do we know? When we had Black Lives Matter protests, they treated them like they were insurrectionists. So they need to do a switch up. You know, on Freaky Friday, you get into one body and the other body get into yours. The old person comes to the young person, young person go to the old person. Let's have some Freaky Friday up in here where the Black Lives Matter protest police get into the, state cap- the, the, the Capitol Police and the Capitol Police jump into the bodies of the Black Lives Matter protest. I think I came up with a hell of an idea there because we know that the refusal to acknowledge the humanity of Black people is a persistent theme in American society. And the refusal to acknowledge our humanity is the predicate of American democracy for so many people. So they were being honest and explicit and transparent about the often masked and hidden beliefs and premises of American democracy. That's why American exceptionalism is white supremacy on the sly. Claiming America is better than other nations. How? We look like a banana republic the other day. We don't agree with you. We're going to tear this down. Despite no evidence, no empirical verification of their beliefs. And so we have to constantly call attention to white brothers and sisters in particular and to the dominant culture about the egregious failure to understand the differential treatment accorded, accorded to those mostly white folk on the mall and black people whose only cry is to be free, who ain't tearing nothing up, who ain't shooting nobody, who ain't beat up and destroying no buildings. <clears throat> and in the Black Lives Matter protest, when they did, it was largely Antifa. I ain't trying to demonize them. Go for what you know, but I'm saying most Negroes weren't even doing that. In fact, they saw them, they were like, hey, stop, because they're going to blame us for all this. Stop. So not that I'm denying the legitimacy of allies, I'm just saying that ain't black people's stilo. And so we have to acknowledge that and to acknowledge the egregious inequality that exists in this country when we treat protesters versus insurrectionists, versus mobs, versus the militants on the mall who wanted to eradicate American democracy. The difference is Black Lives Matter protesters are trying to make democracy better. And the mob was trying to undercut democracy and destroy it altogether. That's what we got to remember when we look at the two.
3: Um, We're going to move into some audience questions now. We won't be able to get to all of them, but I'm going to start with one. So she's asking... Dr. King posed the question, where do we go from here, chaos or community? So, how do we start to think about this again?
0: Great point. Black Lives Matter, community. White supremacists on the mall, chaos. Where do we go from here, chaos, challenging the legitimacy of democracy or Black Lives Matter, community, trying to forge connection between all concerned citizens to radically reorient the government back to its original purposes as articulated by the founding fathers? Chaos. White supremacy, community, love of all peoples. That's how we make a start.
2: So the next question is from Boulder. And it says, uh, David Foster Wallace once wrote that anything I've ever let go of still has my claw marks on it. we keep hearing about the so many Americans that are clinging to a mythical past. Which aspects of America's mythological past are you having a hard time letting go of?
0: hmm That's a brilliant point. Y'all Y'all killing the game over here, man. Y'all killing the game. Both of those questions, so smart. You know, I'm having a hard time letting go of the fact that America is a real democracy. Call me ignorant, naive. I truly believe that at the end of the day, we can make a difference. I truly believe that at the end of the day, that the notion that America is an experiment worthy of undertaking, I'm still there. I still believe that America can become the best that it should be. Not make America great again. Make it the best it can be. Make it good. I don't know if good again. Make it good. Make it important. Make it relevant. Make it just. Make it useful to the masses of citizens. So the call marks of David Foster Wallace that I let go that still have their marks on me is the belief that at the end of the day, we can be truly e pluribus unum, out of many, one. But we can't have unity without justice. Unity is the bridge. Justice is the destination. Let's be unified for an edifying purpose. Not unity for its own sake, but unity, unity for transformation. That's what I'd say.
3: This next question is, they ask, there's an increased talk surrounding white fear and white fragility, but how do Black people grapple with Black fear?
0: yeah why are you scared? Are you scared? <laughs> I mean there's a reason to be fearful. people killing you, people dogging you, people trying to undercut you, people suggesting that you are not truly American, people threatening your life, people saying that they're gonna murder you if you show up at a protest movement people trying to to harm and harass you. There's a reason that black people are fearful there's there's not that there ain't no that ain't, no, uh, that ain't no parallel between white fragility and white fear uh, and white comfort and black fear. Those, them, them things are totally different. Um, I mean, there should be some overlap, of course, uh, philosophically speaking, within certain privileged communities whose black fragility, if we could call it, is in relationship to mostly other black people but when it comes to you know like richer people being told by poorer people about their position and they can't hear it and they don't want to talk about it or people of privilege and wealth not wanting to hear their accountability uh to the masses right so we we got our black fragility too in that sense but but in comparative analysis with white folk it's a different story having said that we've got to overcome that fear we've got to overcome the horrors of the threats and the harassment and have reclaim a kind of internal courage and intestinal fortitude that allows us to keep moving forward and that's why you get on calls like this you talk to your people you join clubs you reinforce each other so that you can at your weakest moment be elevated by your peers who can remind you of what you're made of and what you can do
2: this next question is coming from a white ally Uh, saying, I'm struggling to have conversations with my family about racist behaviors they display. When I bring those behaviors up, they say, I'm not racist, I don't hate Black people, but it's the microaggressions they can't seem to see their all lives matter BS uh, that they can't see as problematic. Do you have any advice on how to break the defense barrier in a dialogue with people you love?
0: Yeah, no, that's a great question too. You know, when you, and I'm glad you raised that because As difficult as it is for you, imagine that as a black person, we're trying to reach some of your family members who are lovely and wonderful, but who are recalcitrant and arthritic, refusing to acknowledge. I'm not, I love black people. I love Beyonce and Jay-Z and love the Harlem Globetrotters and, okay. (laughs) Love the uh, Golden State Warriors. And that's Steph Curry, it's a great, you know. But then the microaggressions, as you said, brave point uh that the questioner uh has raised so but as difficult as it is for us um as it is for you it's probably more difficult for us because we can't even be heard so we want to deputize you to go up into your family as tough as it is when you go home for thanksgiving they eat your pumpkin pie first because i was going to say sweet potato but you know what i'm saying that's that's like you know that's what we do eat your stuffing first we call it dressing But whatever, get your macaroni and cheese on first, then challenge granny, cousins, uncles, peers, younger people. It ain't just old people. The people on the mall, a lot of them were young. People in Charlottesville, anti-Semites, they're young. So one of the things you do is you ask them, how would you feel if? Try to, how would you feel ifs with your white folk? How would you feel if somebody was treating you the same way? How would you feel if that was your granddaughter who was being spoken of and you were, your child had married interracially and now you got a granddaughter who's seen as one of them, somebody you love? How would you feel if? Just try some of them, how would you feel ifs? Then secondly, do the, you know, if it was black people, it, <laughs> right? on them mall how they be treated versus Black Lives Matter that we've talked about earlier. And you can give them comparative analyses and then go, you know better than that because, <laughs> right? And the, you know, better than that because is, you know, Uncle Bubba is a dumb ass white boy, but you see all the good stuff he be getting. He got into college. You know he is illiterate. But a smart black person had to be in competition with him. And because of anti-affirmative action, they felt that Uncle Bubba deserved to break over that black person. So when you begin to point out some of the internal contradictions in whiteness and say, you know, when you say you love black people, but that you know, you come up with the microaggressions, how much love do you really have? And you ask them, how much concern with that people do you really exhibit? And how can you say that you're for fairness and justice and equality when you know these inequities exist? So you got to kind of wear them down. It's hard, it's difficult. There's people you love. You can't throw them away. I don't believe in that cancel culture. I believe in holding people accountable. I don't believe in canceling nobody. First of all, you can't cancel nobody. Is even like what David Foster Wallace said with the earlier quote, you, you still got your claws and you, the stuff that you let go. So, you know, yes, hold people accountable. Yes, impose constraints. But at the end of the day, white supremacy is, I mean, cancel culture is white supremacy by other means. Because black people at our best ain't trying to cancel you. We're trying to convert you. We're trying to transform you. But just because you disagree with somebody, what about if they cancel you now at 17 and you become conscious at 34? What are they going to cancel you? How about not cancel me at the start? Why don't you just work with me? Give me a sense of who I am. Or if I mess up, are you going to cancel me because I messed up one time? Really? All the stuff I've done for 50 years, you just, oh, you're done. Come on. That's a white supremacist idea. We're smuggling in white supremacy when they were talking earlier about how do we combat internal dimensions of white supremacy cancel culture is one of them i know a lot of young young people don't want to hear that i know y'all mad. like you was preaching until now negro you tripping now yeah just hear me cancel culture operates by the same principle that dominant white supremacy operates zero tolerance is not a principle of black people if that's the case we to cancel every white person in america why do you think your older black people voted for Joe Biden? I know younger people might have had some problems. The reason they voted for him, uh, you're telling me a white boy was mad and blessing? Where you been, son? A lot of them are. But lately he was working with this black president trying to work stuff out and he showed his loyalty. Yes, he did the, the crime bill that was horrible and horrendous. But a lot of black ministers and a lot of black politicians were on that crime bill, too. So stop being disingenuous. Don't cancel, convert, cajole, resist, engage, criticize. But cancel? No, no. So when you talk to you, we're gonna deputize you as a white ally to challenge white supremacy from within and to hold your people accountable, even as you try to love the hell up, up out of them. Thank y'all so much. We've got a great honor. Love y'all. Keep up the good work.
1: You were just listening to Michael Eric Dyson on Chaos or Community. Michael Eric Dyson is a noted author and scholar and university distinguished professor of African-American and diaspora studies at Vanderbilt University. He spoke on January 22nd. This program is produced by Alternative Radio based in Boulder, Colorado. We are independent and progressive, and in our 35th year, we're supported solely by individuals just like you. To access our complete audio and book catalog, just go to our website, alternativeradio.org. Again, our website where we are podcasting, alternativeradio.org. To place a credit card order for CDs of today's program, Michael Eric Dyson on chaos or community and for our special book offer Noam Chomsky's latest consequences of capitalism manufacturing discontent just call us at 1-800-444-1977 again that number is 1-800-444-1977 or you can go to our website alternativeradio.org. If you'd like a free copy of a printed transcript, PDF, or MP3 of this program, just give us a call at 1-800-444-1977. Joe Ritchie is our general manager and editor. I'm David Barsamian. Thank you for listening. We go out with these sacred souls. Give us justice. Could have been me
4: Been me lying on the concrete. There's a need.
1: just go to the website alternativeradio.org alternativeradio.org. Uh, we too are independent and are supported solely by listeners who make donations, uh, purchase transcripts, mp3s or CDs of our programs So we're very much uh, dependent on listeners out there.
0: Hello hello what is it CJSW.
3: This is CrispinGlover.com You are listening to CJSW 90.9 FM. Thank you. Thank
0: you. One more. Thank you.